0: You're listening to an irreverent podcast.
1: For more unholy content from our friends, head to irreverent.fm.
0: Hey friends, welcome to the Speaking in Church podcast. As always, I'm Josie and today... We are joined by my new best friend. We've already chatted, we're really vibing. Brandon Flannery with one N. We just talked all about that. (laughs) And you are the author of your new book that just came out stumbling yes that's me I'm yeah. so impressed I love authors Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> as a reader I love writers <laughs> oh
1: I love it I actually was a delayed re- reader I would like write for some reason earlier and then later I fell in love with reading so I did the reverse I think of a lot of people I know.
0: mean yeah that sounds harder honestly <laughs> <laughs> like, I
1: listen like- as a closeted queer kid I needed a safe space that <laughs> I could hide in and that was writing oh, yeah, for me. right yeah that's right. So, yeah, yeah, I feel like
0: I only can write because I read. Like, I just steal that everything that I've ever gleaned from reading. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I'm so excited to get into this. Tell us uh, a little bit about your story, tell us about the book, tell me everything well you're my best friend so you should already know <laughs> i know <laughs> but they don't <laughs> it's
1: true it's very true the listeners <laughs> um yeah so my name is brandon flannery f1n as Josie said um and uh i let's see here i grew up in it to like quote the back of my book i have drank deep of i've drank deep of the waters of evangelicalism <laughs> growing up in a mega church ex-pastor ex-missionary closeted homosexual um (laughs) as i say from like my closet right now because this is where i do my podcast because it sounds so great (laughs) yeah i um i uh started wrestling with my faith uh and spirituality start like literally as a missionary overseas um Mm -hmm. i was a missionary in berlin and then also in india and um my flavor of christianity believed in a lot of like uh charismatic uh, experiences like tongues and miracles, and like I always say that I'm like one step below flaggers. Like you'd see flaggers sometimes here. Or there, those that don't know what a flagger is, it's a dancer. So it's got a flag that dances oh, with the Holy Spirit.
0: Yeah, with the uh, yeah. I had a lot of that at the in the assemblies of God of my parents' church. Yeah. Mm, lots of yes, flags. yes. Yes. Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. So I uh, side note, I was a pastor and like it was a non-denominational, but we we came from assemblies of God. Like oh, so. uh, David Wilkerson was like the grandparent mm-hmm. of our church, so to speak. So
0: um,
1: <clears throat> anyway, so I started yeah, questioning my faith and sexuality. Well, I guess like not questioning my sexuality, but coming to terms with it, um, like literally as a missionary. And so my book opens up, like I start hitchhiking immediately after being a missionary and having these big questions. Um and some big family stuff starts hitting me and like lack of miracles and like praying for people and now they're crying in my arms because god's not moving and Mm. um all these crazy promises that weren't coming through really forced me to uh reconcile a lot um and then kind of my sexuality came forward and really forced me to like truly like okay what do i actually believe Mm. um and so it wrestles with big questions like death and uh, um, why are we here? And, you know, really light stuff. Uh, and um, I called stumbling because <clears throat> in the prelude, I don't promise answers. Uh, if, if anyone does, I think that they're selling you something. Um, mm-hmm. What I am offering is to display my story in hopes that you can learn something of from my stumblings where I've like maybe... Like fell into a thorn bush and you can know not to go there metaphorically or you can know like hey uh, there's a glade if you turn right and you can get some fresh water for your soul if you'll just Mm. just turn Um, and so that's my hope and goal is like one. the reason I wrote it is because in 2020 I think a lot of people it was a reckoning for evangelicalism as a result of Trump nationalism BLM COVID all the things and um, a lot of my friends who have never questioned their faith before started questioning it. And I grew up in a very evangelical uh, framework, Colorado Springs, Homo Focus on the Family, uh, did ministries like Teen Mania and YWAM and grew up in a megachurch. And so, so much of my community <clears throat> after it came out, disappeared, but then they came and like we reconnected in 2020 because they started asking questions. And I felt like as a, as a blessing of my sexuality, um, I was forced to do some more reckoning before a lot of my friends. And so I was just like, I just want to like, I've been writing for like, like I mentioned earlier, since I was a little kid, like it being a safe space for me. So I want to put this down. I want to put down my story in hopes that, um, my wounds and my hopes could offer some semblance of healing for other people that I quote Henry Nowen at the beginning, who talks about like the wounded healer, how like mm. there's healing in our wounds, which is, I think a huge belief for us. Um, Although I wouldn't necessarily identify as a strict Christian anymore, I do find the character of Jesus incredibly important and I think an expression of God. And so this idea of their healing and our wounds, I think, is what I hope to do through stumbling. So there you have it.
0: Oh, my gosh, I love it. I am so stuck on this, like the promise of miracles and how that was like a huge sticking point for you, mm. because it has always been a sticking point for me as like an mm. aging person. Um, my oh, my God, and I- yes we argue about this all the time because he's like you don't believe in miracles and he's telling me this as i like am gearing up towards my routine acl knee surgery and that was free mm-hmm. didn't cost him any money and he's like why don't we just pray over it and i was like why don't we just rely on the miracles of modern medicine that's a miracle dad like i don't know <laughs> like what is this like <laughs> Why do I have to have your friend come? And I loved it. Like, the, the healer at the church, we were homies, like, with his kids and everything. I was like, but I don't want him coming to my house to touch my knee. Wait, y'all had,
1: like, an actual, like, like yeah. appointed healer person at your church?
0: Well, he wasn't, like, appointed in like, he wasn't paid for it or a pastor or anything. But he was, like, the guy that everybody, like, really believed in. Like, he was, like... Whoa. He just had that fervent faith and... I mean, cause you, everybody would participate, right? Like there'd be a group of people praying over, but he was like the, he just knew what he was doing. Allegedly. Um, still love him. Great guy, but I'm just not, I I want my knee surgery, please. Like just give me my knee surgery.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What's so interesting is like with it being, so for me, it was actually legs as well. So like, Mm. that was the big miracle thing for me and this is where it's a mixed bag. And this is where I still believe in, um, God. I just think that God is, uh, more encompassing and bigger and incorporates more things Mm -hmm. that's kind of spoiling the ending but like um because I have experienced some miracles as crazy as they sound like I have I have experienced Mm -hmm. them but the ones that really shook some stuff they're literally all around legs and it was um in India there's a woman who got hit by a bus and lost her leg as a result and she's I don't know if you had these in gym I did but they're these like 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 plastic little seats with little wheels mm-hmm. and you push around All and the, like do scoots crab scoots? soccer yes i don't even know what the, I, yeah sure we'll call them scoot scoots because i was like actually <laughs> I don't have to call um the scoot scoots like she had one of those but like you know it was literally just like plywood plywood and then like some like yeah, yeah, janky yeah. wheels that was like her life for like three years she hadn't no, no i think it was seven um and hadn't been outside and i'm like really connected and empathetic towards her also uncomfortable because like her pain i think that especially in certain flavors of Christianity, we do a bad job of mm. allowing pain to exist and incorporating pain. And so pain makes us uncomfortable. And so I think that's what was going on actually inside of me. I call it like being moved by the spirit, but I think it was, I, your pain is bothering me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so yeah. I like took her out in the garden and like prayed for her leg, like I was told to do. And then quoted scripture, like Jesus said, tell the lame person to get up. And so I'm like trying to help her to get up and she starts crying in my arms. The miracle doesn't happen, and she's like, like sobbing in my arms, being like, "Why won't God heal me?" And I'm like, "I don't know." Mm-hmm. And then immediately after that, my brother got into a car accident where he had also a leg issue, and the elders are there praying and all that stuff. So like, legs is a theme. There's not, like, that's literally called a chapter in my book is legs. <laughs> so the fact <laughs> that yours is a knee, yeah. and you're like, just get me the surgery. I'm like, I resonate. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> On a deep level,
0: it's crazy because. Like, I don't think that people really comprehend how much miracles can fuck up your life. Like my family, there was a prophet that came to the church one time and he like prophesied over my parents that they were gonna be rich one day and have this huge house and um, use it for ministry and all this stuff. And it never happened. My parents are not rich. Also prosperity gospel in the Latin community. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, my parents are immigrants. Like, of course they wanted to be like told that they were gonna be rich. Also, my mom is a bougie bitch, so I don't know.
1: Does she listen to this
0: podcast? No, no, she doesn't. She does not. Um, She doesn't know how to use her phone. She refuses to learn how to speak English after 30 fucking years living in here. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I tell her all her bullshit to her face, so I don't care. Um, But but she's just like, my mother's a full-blown narcissist, and I've accepted that in my life. And I'm like, I've had a conversation with some family member who will remain unnamed in case she does listen to this uh, <laughs> at some point. But they were like, I don't think <laughs> your mom has ever. I don't think this prophecy is for your mom because if your mom has a big house, she doesn't use her house for ministry now. Like she doesn't. She all the money she she buys purses and things, and she wants to appear bougie. And it's like, what kind of that doesn't that's not a ministry thing, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: And I yeah.
0: But she still chases that and she chases and she chases this yeah. prophecy to the point where she's like, We are her status symbols as her children. Mm. And I think that she's gonna get rich off of us. Like uh. I married a white man who came from a privileged family, and oh my god, he's the golden child. He's like the mm. ultimate He's like, gonna
1: save us, so to speak.
0: Yeah, and I'm like, Bro, we're struggling. Mm. Like I don't know what to like, <laughs> <laughs>
1: It is Southern California. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Because I mean, like he's a chemist. Like we make—I don't make any money wow. because I work at a church. But like he has a good job that pays decent yes. money. But we also pay three thousand six hundred dollars in rent every month. So I don't know. Like this is yep. not sustainable. Um, yeah. But all that to say, like that prophecy has completely ruined mm-hmm. some of the aspects of my relationship mm-hmm. with my parents, and. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's so common, even like with just mm-hmm. like a basic mm-hmm. miracle, like mm-hmm. it ruins your faith if you don't get mm-hmm. the fucking miracle, because well, anyways, that's that was my thought. You, you go. Well,
1: no, I think that like, so I I talk for me, like I agree with you 110 percent. And also, like, I think that what really does a number on things is one, you've got like this prosperity gospel, which is just interesting because I never see that from the words of Jesus personally. Exactly. Um, and like, so that's one thing Two, like, to make your faith that selfish, like all the people that I know that are talking about prosperity gospel, it's not like they always say, Oh, you're blessed to be a blessing. I'm like, are you blessing anyone? Exactly. But most important, this is one that I saw that was so painful for my brother when he didn't get the miracle. And that was the miracle coming through, it becomes about faith. So it's always like that's what I was raised with was like there's that verse I forget which one it is but it's like Jesus went to this town and he was only able to perform like small miracles mm-hmm. because of a lack of faith and so they point to that one and they say that it's faith like faith is the reason miracles don't come through it can't be God's fault that the miracle did not come through it can't be that like God like it, the, there's never any blame put on God because he's perfect and so therefore who does the blame fall on the victim, like you've got this person that is hurting and is desperate to see something happen. And now as a result of a miracle, not coming through, they get to sprinkle guilt and shame on top of mm-hmm. all the pain they're already experiencing. And I've seen that destroy people where it's like, well, I guess I didn't have enough faith. Mm-hmm. I guess I didn't believe hard enough. And I'm just there breaking inside. Cause I'm just like, Why should that matter? Like, if I like to quote the words of Jesus, like if I were a parent and I saw a kid that was like, would you please help me out? Like, it's not just like, you know, a nice bigger house or whatever. It's like, it's literally like, let's take it beyond even a lake. Like, let's take a parent praying for their kid with some terminal illness. Mm. Like, and you're telling me that like, there's a God in heaven that is saying, well, you didn't believe hard enough. So I'm going to go ahead and take your kid's life that has Mm. leukemia. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what, how do we not understand that this theology is causing so much harm? And to Mm -hmm. quote a friend, uh, Kevin Garcia, uh, they have a beautiful book. Yeah, they're great. Yeah, they're here in Atlanta, like really lovely friend. I'm so grateful for them. But their book of bad theology kills and I've seen it. Like I've seen how Mm. theology, like we think, oh, like how bad could believing something be? And I'm like, uh, let's look at history. Like, Let's look at thousands of years of of theology that has not only caused harm, like for my brother who now is experiencing guilt and shame for not getting the miracle, but let's transcend beyond that where there was theology that believed manifest destiny to advance the American dream in quotation marks West and taking, Mm -hmm. stealing land from indigenous communities. Let's think about theology where it was, we have a right to kill Muslim people Mm -hmm. so we could seize this land. Let's talk about the inquisition where we're torturing people because we believe they they will make a confession. We've saved their soul. So what we believe has consequences. And Mm -hmm. while for me, I'm now in the biggest space of, I have a lot more questions than answers. My biggest thing is what is the fruit of your belief system? Because if it's still producing bad, I don't care how quote unquote correct your theology is. I really don't. I don't believe in orthodoxy anymore mm. because I think that the proof of good believing or right believing orthodoxy, it should be orthopraxy. Like your life should be expressing something to, to quote Brian McLaren, mm. um, like really shook me in, um, his book, a more generous orthodoxy where it's like, mm-hmm. I care more about what your theology. how it transforms you for the Mm -hmm. good I don't care if it's correct I really don't Mm -hmm. so and that whole thing about uh prosperity gospel and believing miracles I think can cause so much harm um and I think it has caused so much harm
0: yeah I mean like in my own life I also would say that I've experienced so many miracles and they're not like sexy they're just kind of mundane but (laughs) to me they're like they're ever changing like I mean growing up my parents prayed and prayed, cause my dad's like a genius. I'm convinced he's just like super smart. Uh, he was a chess mm. champion as a child, like just, wow. Out yeah. <clears throat> and like, so he got his three lovely, intelligent kids and I'm the only one that's still in the church. And I was the big rebel, mm. I was the black sheep. But like, I remember growing up and reading, like I read the Bible over and over and over again, cause that's what you were supposed to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what I was reading was not aligned with what I was hearing in church. Like the pastor had this giant house that I had a sleepover in once and the rest of us Latin immigrants are like living in the hood. And I remember calling all this stuff out and people saying like, oh, Josie, you can't get baptized because you haven't spoken in tongues. And I was Mm -hmm. like, in my head that didn't, like, I wasn't, I have the gift of arrogance. I'm such an arrogant asshole. (laughs) I was just (laughs) growing up thinking like, well, maybe I just don't maybe there's people that don't speak Mm, in tongues. get it yeah yeah exactly because and for me i was like i believe you're not gonna question the fact that i believe in god i believe in love and everything but just because i don't believe exactly how you're saying then i'm fuck me okay i don't think so and i lived my life according to how i read the fucking book and then i mean my family was falling apart i was emancipated at 17 and I was on my own for college. This is my miracle, by the way. I was on my own for college mm-hmm. and I had no, I have I'm first generation. I have no idea how to one apply for college, how to apply for scholarship. Mm-hmm. Apps. I have mm-hmm. no idea how to do any of this. And the, my miracle was I had like cultivated these relationships with the college and career counselor and the librarian at the school because mm-hmm. I was volunteered in the library. And they not only helped me figure out how to apply to school, get into school, but then they helped me through the process of becoming an mm. emancipated minor so that mm. i could go to college and i went to apu mm. fully funded
1: like wow That's yeah huge. some of them are
0: loans but i mean oh my god like i was just a regular kid with regular grades and i didn't have to worry about paying for school until after school like that was... <laughs> <laughs> it was a huge miracle like i thought i was not going to be able to go to school i thought i was going to be homeless because i couldn't live in my parents house anymore mm. And to some people, it's like, well, yeah, you just did the steps, and you and it's like, no, I that was a miracle to me. I went to school, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I fulfilled my lifelong dream of graduating from college, and I did it without my parents. Like they can't hold it over me. Like, oh my gosh, yeah. Our relationship is not founded on like a quid pro quo. It's mm,
1: like we raised you, yada yada yada. You just you you need to give this back to us. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah.
0: And now they can't claim any of that. And I feel like it has mm-hmm. helped our relationship. I mean, I'm not mm-hmm. talking to my mom currently, but that's her own fault. But like with my dad, <laughs> <I feel> like, <laughs> and that's not considered a good enough miracle to people like my parents. Mm-hmm. To them, it's mm-hmm. like, mm, well, you didn't honor your father and your mother the way that we wanted you to. So yep. it's not a miracle. Yep. You just, my sister says that I played the system. And it's was like, oh. Well, uh, I played it correctly, so I don't know what's.
1: <laughs> I was chess master in that system, baby. Like exactly. with lack of knowledge and information, all that stuff. Okay, exactly. Sure. Yeah.
0: And oh my gosh, I just can't. Oh, I can't get over it. And then, I don't know. I've I've become a huge advocate for chaos theology. That's my own little mm, thing. Okay. Is, like my dad will be like, "Why don't you just?" Because I have fibromyalgia, so I'm disabled for the rest of my life. And Mm -hmm. my dad's like, why don't you pray to get healed? And I was like, because one, I believe that we all have our cross to bear or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, who am I not to suffer? Who am I to, like, Mm -hmm. not believe that I deserve this? not Mm -hmm. deserving, but that it just happens. And, Mm -hmm. like, I just believe in chaos. Some people, it's this. Some people, it's that. Some people get a random, like, absurd and beautiful miracle. And some people don't. Like, it's just... Mm -hmm. It's chaos, and I like I find that incredibly comforting as an optimistic nihilist. Which is hilarious
1: because I think most people, I think that the thing that evangelicalism offers for a lot of people, and it's a big shift when that comes crumbling down, is um, confidence. It's like I have the right answers, and so that certainty, I think, is actually a big security blanket for people, um, and it keeps them in i would say toxic and abusive spaces because Mm. it they can at least hold on to i've got this black and white framework which i think is hilarious because like like the bible like the people who say that it's like the bible's black and white like have you actually read this whole thing and studied this Mm -hmm. whole thing because there's a lot of stuff in here that is real gray Mm. um and so like if you're saying that you've got certainty i would push back on that however i there's i have sympathy for individuals because I was there of how safe it feels like you're under this awning yep. and it's pouring oh my glasses um it's pouring rain outside and like there's this certainty of like well at least underneath this awning I'm safe even though you're like you're cooking I don't mm-hmm. know by like one of those space eaters I'm running out of a, the analogy but like <laughs> Um, but like what I found, and it's really interesting that you find comfort in chaos because I think that a lot of people, that's what is terrifying for them. Yeah. And I agree with you, like knowing that no one can have the right answer. I don't know how like you're defining chaos, yeah. the, like yeah. your chaos theology, but like it was so freeing to understand. Wait, am I arrogant to believe that after thousands of years, either myself or the denomination I belong to of hundreds. Of denominations over thousands of religions, I'm um, I have the right answer.
0: Exactly.
1: And and the fact that Protestants can't even a- agree mm-hmm. <laughs> and have yep. fractured into hundreds of denominations, you're telling me, and by some numbers, thousands, like you're gonna tell me that this one denomination is the one that got the right answer. Mm-hmm. And it was just like a free moment: I'm like, wait, if no one can if if it's this hard to get the right answer. It can't, that can't be the finish line but exactly. can't be it and it was so freeing for me like oh then it can't be it can't be about the right answer mm-hmm. because we'd be screwed so like i i also while i would necessarily use chaos i still can be an anxious person around like chaos <laughs> but like the idea of and amb- for me my language i choose is ambiguity yeah. um empowers me with curiosity mm-hmm. um rather than fear yeah so that's so interesting i would i'd be curious how you're defining uh chaos theology but please go with your thought
0: well i was going to talk about chaos so for me (laughs) i I just kind of stick to like because i mean i know like the the liberation theology and i know all these other theologies right and i'm down for them but i think for me where i have found my faith has been in love like love is Mm -hmm. all that matters to me and pursuing that and becoming a better person for the sake of love and people often ask me like oh so you don't believe in hell then like what is the afterlife and i was like i don't care like i really truly (laughs) cannot care like i mean i do because i have an overwhelming fear of death and i have some anxiety about that but in my (laughs) most humans too (laughs) in my belief system like if i live my life according to love And I try my hardest to make the world a better place than when I first walked into it, Mm -hmm. then if it's black at the end and there's nothing there, then I still believe that it was all worth the effort in believing in God. Mm. Like Mm. it's yeah it's much less about the belief of is God real and what is God supposed to do for those of us who are still on this earth. Like, what is this concept supposed to do for us? And I still believe in God, because, again, I believe in my miracles. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of what
1: I, I That's It's so interesting with the idea of miracles, because that's also, yeah, like, why I, my mm-hmm. miracles I had. Like, when I was this little kid, again, with the faith thing, I would get passed around praying for these uh, infertile women. So, again, not sexy. For me, it was sexy at the time. Or not even at the time. At the time, I didn't care. But now looking back, I'm like, these are a little bit sexy.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I was getting passed around to, like, these infertile women who can get pregnant. And then, like, as soon as I prayed for them, nine months later. Oh. um, Which is just kind of crazy. I know, right? Like, those are the ones where I'm like, that's a little little bit sexy. Um. But like, and I've had other experiences. Where I feel like God told me things that really special about people, and I saw them come to a knowledge of. I would agree with you with love. What's interesting to me is a lot of questions I have. Like, and again, that's not what I often look. book. I have some answers I've come up with um, that make me look like a heretic. But like, <laughs> one that I know for sure is, I think that which is divine is going to be worshipped whether we want to or not like Mm -hmm. to quote that like the rocks will cry out Mm -hmm. like i think that we're actually bringing offerings to god whether we like it or not because of that idea that god is love we love love Mm -hmm. we write stories about it we watch movies about we create songs about it we are fascinated with it and i think it's because the fact that it is something that is worthy of worship mm. when we see like self-sacrificing love when we see a parent giving their life for a kid when we see uh starstruck lovers that like come against the odds and like mm. everyone is rooting against them and they somehow like get each other like we love it and i think that it's because of the fact that there's some that we are experiencing the divine it is something worthy of worship So I, I absolutely agree that like, while I don't know a lot, what I do know is that I do like, I do love, um, what I see in Jesus because I do see so much expression of love in that person. And so, um, When I doubt what does love look like, there are times where I reflect back and like to be super cliche, but like the what would Jesus do or just like, I I think I have a little bit more boundaries because I used to be a doormat within Christianity. (laughs) And I think evangelical Christianity kind of teaches you to do that, Mm -hmm. where it's like, you just need to do what the pastor says. You need to like be a good servant. And next thing you know, you're stacking chairs for a couple of hours or like doing a bake sale. And it's like, while the guy, the the pastor that's in the really nice home just like lives their life because they work like a couple of hours a week. Um, it's, so I I do more boundaries now where it's like, what is looking like taking care of myself and in your words, leave the earth better than I found it. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I think that we, I think that when we see that it, it, we, again, we write stories about it. We write songs about it because we do see that there's something worthy of worship there.
0: Yeah. I mean like the, the most divine period of my life, I saw, I feel like I'm still coming off of it a little bit, but. Like, is this story of love that I have where my friend, she was having a mental health crisis. And mm. we'd been friends since college, but we had gotten close during the pandemic because we lived near each other. And mm-hmm. she ran a business that I could help her with. And it was a fun time. But she was going through this <laughs> mental health crisis that was like extreme. And for whatever reason, I was the one that ended up taking care of her for six months. And mm. it was beautiful. Like, she was like, generally crazy like she was she was crazy um paranoid Mm. all this stuff and everybody left her everybody left her Mm. behind and Mm. because they couldn't handle it right like seeing somebody go through that is you understand that they're going through a crisis but they could say some things that are really hurtful (laughs) and then you just kind of were like you let go of that friendship or whatever and for me and my partner we're both mentally ill (laughs) (laughs) so it was like immediately like okay crisis mode we just gotta we gotta do this thing we moved in with her we i still have her dogs and a lot of people would say that i failed or not failed but Mm. that it was a bad time because she ended up taking her life and Mm. after that i mean i didn't lose any of that love like looking back like it was hard and she was It's sometimes awful and she was that sometimes great, but it was like this she felt like my sister my child my best Mm. friend all wrapped into one. And to me, it was a miracle that I as another mentally ill person who is disabled and like doesn't have a ton of resources like I was able to be there for her like I don't know Mm. what supernatural power was working within this crippled little body but i was <laughs> i was able to do this for her and even though it didn't end the way any of us would have wanted it was still like i still feel so connected to and i mean i'm obsessed with grief now because i just mm. the grief is insurmountable but mm. and then like mm. the after she died like all the people that came that like lived from far away or that like weren't so close but always loved her and like helped me plan the memorial and helped me with her finances and all this stuff mm like that community aspect, because she was so loving towards other people that in the end it came back. Like, Mm. I felt like she was loving me from beyond the grave. Like she was like, Mm. I needed to rest, but now here, like now you rest too in this Mm. life or whatever. Mm. And that's like a weird thing to call a miracle, but like
1: Mm.
0: I felt God and love in a way that I don't think I'll ever really feel again because it was just such a unique situation. Like, Mm -hmm. I didn't have to love her. She was not related Mm -hmm. to me. She was like, she was my friend, but she was like crazy. And that's hard Mm -hmm. to deal with. Mm -hmm. And I don't blame people for walking away because, I mean, not everybody's equipped to handle a mental health crisis. I mean, (laughs) Lord knows I don't think I am, but there we are. And I feel like that's the scary stuff that the evangelical Mm -hmm. church refuses to wrestle with. Yeah.
1: Well, sorry, continue. No, you go. Well, I was going to say is like, I think that they still, instead of death being a part of life, it's this resented Mm -hmm. thing, which, again, going back to the theology, if you believe that death is a punishment. Mm. Yeah, like it's like I you have to avoid it at all costs. Um, It's evil. It's from Satan. It's all these things. And it's just really interesting because, again, quoting the book, it's like, according to the book, Jesus has the keys to, to death. So, but it's still happening. Mm-hmm. So, if if Jesus does again, I like I have plenty of questions. I'm like, I don't even know if this is true. But as from a Christian perspective, if death is still happening and Jesus has the keys, then it must be accomplishing something that could be good. Mm-hmm. And I do think that I think like to to death is, um it's really interesting how much we have overlap It's just because they're best teeth. Mm. But like because like death, uh, really important. I think that's most like I think that when people encounter their first close death i hope that it would shake things um because i think it's important that we bring everything into question um so like for me death is a very important thing my best friend uh died and like really shifted the book my arrogant ass like in my head was like i had this beautiful art for my book where i'm like man loses faith overseas man dares to trust that god (laughs) might be taking care of him back overseas so this art of like losing my faith coming out like stumbling into the divine and then daring to trust and then sells everything and moves to Korea within weeks of me moving there, my best friend dies. Mm. And I remember coming, I had to come back because I had to quit my job to be at his funeral. Cause I wasn't not going to be his funeral. Right. And my whole life is reset and up in disarray. So I had an opposite experience of you. Mine was, it was chaos. Mm. To take your word. And, <laughs> um, uh, I ran into a friend and he was actually at my book launch event. He's such a great human. Um, and he was just like, Hey, how are you doing? How's the book? Um, Cause we were talking about how I started writing it in quarantine in, in Korea. And, um, and I was like, I'm not going to finish it. Like, and he was like, well, uh, why? <laughs> um, and I said, well, it's a shitty ending. It's the ending is shit. Yeah. And he's like, but it's a human ending. Mm-hmm. And that's more important. And so he actually didn't know that he's the reason that the book got finished. I told him at the the book event, which was really cool to see um, and surprise him with that. But like it's um, his death shook a lot. And, you know, unlike the fairy tale stories where it's just like the credits roll and like the people ride into the sunset, blah, 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 blah. Like life doesn't look like that. Like it keeps Mm -hmm. rolling and rolling until death. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's so I think it's so important that we orient ourselves to it. And um, that's something that. I don't think evangelicalism equipped me for. Now I feel like I can orient myself to death, but it wasn't through the answers that evangelicalism gave me. Um, and like for me, I, some again, some overlap here where it wasn't like my friend um, that passed, it's not like uh, I like took care of him or anything like that. In fact, we, had, we were a little bit estranged by the end because of me being gay and coming out. Mm. But I remember I was really struggling um, with big questions and feeling like life was too heavy. And I remember getting in the shower and like, I wanted to reach for something beyond me. And I think that's something else that faith can do like that, whatever that may be, whether that's Christianity or Islam or um, like Hinduism, whatever it may be like to reach out beyond is a very comforting thing. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was like reaching out and I like reached out for God first, I'm like, nah, that doesn't feel comfortable. And then I was like, I like Jesus. Let me like reach out. So I like reached out for Jesus. I'm like, no, that also doesn't feel comfortable right now. And then I was like, I want to reach out to my friend. It felt safe. Mm. And I was like, I don't know if this is like heretical or not. Uh, and God, if you are out there and you're real, you can forward a message. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. So I like prayed to my friend and um, left it, like felt a level of peace, Can uh, finished up my shower, went to bed. I'm like with these um, older men and talking with them who have like done a lot of healing for me. That's the other thing I think about humans is like we have such power to bring about such beauty or such harm. Like there's just so much miracle bound up inside of our flesh um, or curse. Uh, like I think they both reside in us. And so like I, re- I receive a lot of blessing and miracle from these men. And I was working through my relationship to the divine And this older man was like, if there is a God, and if they are good, and if they're lovely, and if there are all these things that we hope that God is, what would they say about you or not? And I could not for the life of me come up with an answer. And a memory of my dead friend came to the surface, and it was the last conversation that we had before we became estranged, and it's where I said, I had recently come out and I was just like, do you, are you scared for me? Cause I was scared for myself at the time to be quite frank. And, um, and I was like, are you scared for me? And he was a missionary as well. And so I thought he was going to come at me and um, he was like, no, I'm, I'm not scared. I'm not scared for you. And I was like, why not? Cause I am basically. And he was like, cause I believe in you. Like I know you and I believe in you. And in this moment with these men like i felt like god the divine was saying like i believe in you you've got this like i believe in you um as a as a human and was able to move forward because i was very depressed at the time and like that that belief carried me through mm. um but death is like i think so important whatever belief system you're working with like i think that you like that is the that is the final destination for everyone mm. And if you have not done, I think that, you know, all the way up until probably late 20s or unless you like encounter death earlier, but like, you're not forced to confront it. We think we're going to live forever. We're like, most people die, but not me. I feel like yeah. it's like uh, how we kind of relate to death mm-hmm. um, until we're confronted with it. And then there's this idea of like, oh shit, we no, that's the finish line for all of us. What does that mean? What does that mean about like how I live my life? Because we all like cross, like, it's not like it's a race. Well, it is, but we all are it's the same finish line. And so, like, um what is does do finances count? do does that matter for anything? Do relationships count for anything? Do what I accomplish in this world count for anything? If, after all is said and done, I die like everyone else? Mm. Um, I think it's important questions that we need to wrestle with. Um, and I'm grateful for being confronted with death mm. at this time in my life because it's I think made me more kind to my fellow humans because understanding that we have this shared experience like I'm not above or below we are the same Mm. um again to steal some words from the bible of like prophetic words in Ezekiel like the high will be brought below and the low will be brought high I typically don't quote scripture this much this is a very (laughs) interesting podcast normally I'm just like and I'm like there's a level of me feeling like moved beyond or whatever um and trying to incorporate other things into my life but um yeah i guess it's just really loud today so but yeah i i do think that's like death is incredibly important it is miraculous and it is also carnal um and very human so i i yeah. think it's so important
0: yeah i mean the the idea that i'm gonna die i'm so obsessed with dying um because <laughs> <I'm so scared. laughs> and like yeah. i'm generally a fearless person um mm. i don't really get a shit about anything like I'm, my partner is a very anxious human, and he, I mean, grew up in privilege, so he doesn't know what it's like to be poor or anything like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm like, and he's always like weird about finances, like we have to save or does it. And I'm like, well, fuck it, let's go eat. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell him like, whenever we're fighting about money, I was like, it always comes up, but I'm like, I don't think you understand Ryan that if we lost everything, if I had to start from zero. I have full faith that I could do it. Like that doesn't that does not scare me. I'm not scared yeah. when we all have or we we're all gonna die. So whatever. Or like famous mm-hmm. people, I have a hard time having like obsessions with famous people because I'm like, mm-hmm, "This baby mm-hmm. gonna die too." Like I don't care how. Yes. Die, die too.
1: <laughs> yes. But oh, I think it's also like what something that's a really beautiful thing about hardship is like when you go through it, you realize what you're capable of mm-hmm. versus people who haven't like, yeah, I feel like they, there's a lot more anxiety because like, what am I able to make it through? Listen, I sold everything, moved across the world. My mm-hmm. best friend died. I had to start over again, move over here. Like my life was in shambles starting from ground zero and I made it mm-hmm. like you can make it too. We just you don't know until you've been through that shit. But yep. once you do, it is a gift. It's It, it is a hard gift. But it's a fucking gift because you can see what you're actually made of.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think this is a good transition point to let's talk about uh, being gay. I mean,
1: mm, yeah. I
0: feel like <laughs> that's a lot of where those of us who are in the LGBTQ community land is I can't mm-hmm. go on living this way. I can't go mm-hmm, on thinking mm-hmm. this way. Like this is not uh, almost like what's the point of living if I can't be who I am? Yeah. You know, yep. how do you mm-hmm. what was that process like for you coming out?
1: um man me and my sexuality we have a turbulent relationship but we are friends now lovers even <laughs> yes. um so um you, so I, I don't know how you related to it with your AG background but like for me it was like to believe that you know you could pray hard enough and it things mm. would change or that like I kind of related to it for a long time like abraham believing for his miracle of a child i think there's a lot of people like when we are yearning for something so deeply i think it's a natural story raising christianity because it's like it's a beautiful and vivid one and it is long suffering he's in his hunt he's o- over 100 years old when he finally saw the promise um and so like um i i related to it that way often of like this will eventually go away and i want to be quite like this isn't nice but again like my relationship with my sexuality was turbulent is I didn't like the fact that I was gay Mm -hmm. like I wanted to be straight like it wasn't like this thing of oh I want to be gay but um I have to be straight it was like no I I wanted to like make my own kids and like have the wedding that everyone was proud of and like to have the very neat and clean uh family dynamic and like all these different things and like I would see romance films and like I like it wasn't like I was hoping for oh man I hope there was a gay story it was just like I was very content with the straight love story it just but still felt like I couldn't access it like it was behind a locked door and um so yeah growing up praying desperately that it would change and I think this is one of those things where it's like again coming kind of from our background um of believing miracles there were times in my life that I reflect back and be like I would say that I got healed of my homosexuality Mm. or i would say back then, same-sex attraction um like it was some disease and reflecting back on it i can see oh no 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 no, no, i was getting my queer yearnings met in sideways ways Mm. and what i mean by that is i can point to a best term i'm like i was in love with him we were cuddling all the time um like we were sharing about everything we're we're saying stuff like when something like and I didn't say it the other person did and it just filled my gay closeted soul where he was just like it feels like we're one flesh like when something happens to you it's like happening to me and I'm just like
0: oh that is hot
1: (laughs) yeah correct and I'm just sitting there just like burning inside me like we're cuddling on the couch I'm just like um like that or I went to this crazy cult bible school in Texas where like my roommates and I are like, we're always cuddling. We're always being emotionally vulnerable. And we're all so close because these straight men are not allowed to date. Well, none of us are allowed to date. And so like they have this energy that gets spilt out on each other. It's really weird. And uh, uh, I would say like uh, frantic energy Mm a frenetic energy, like where it just spills out, especially all those spaces. Like they're all similar. All these like very uh, purity culture, like don't cross the threshold, have this very like, homoerotic spaces and they don't even Mm. see it. I'm just like, listen, if we aren't born gay, y'all are making us queer because of what y'all are doing here. And so I can look at those spaces and during those times, I felt very, I never felt heterosexual, Mm. but I did feel very asexual in those times where it's just like, I'm not really attracted to anyone. And it's because I was getting emotionally I was partnered up, so to speak, yeah, in different seasons of my life. And so all those things happened. And so, but for me, my sexuality and repressing was always for God. It was always, to use your words, my cross to bear. And when I started to doubt, like well, these miracles weren't happening and I'd given my life to God, like being a missionary and like these things aren't coming through. And then it started to kind of unveil, like, well, maybe I was wrong. And I got bumped into some friends of mine that are atheists that had deconstructed from Christianity and they're like telling me what they've learned. And I'm like bumping into these differences and I'm like, oh, maybe I am wrong. And in that space where I had repressed for years and years and years, The doubt of God's existence, I describe it in my book as like a backdraft, like um, there's that movie, I don't know if you ever saw it was like in the 90s or 80s, where it's like, it's called backdraft. And like, the in a building, the heat, like, like, fire needs oxygen. Mm. And if it's in a building where it's trapped, and there's not enough oxygen, it's slowly suffocating itself. If it gets the littlest access to oxygen, it bursts to steal that little bit of oxygen that can get and so my doubt in God felt like this tiny little crack where my sexuality could finally come out. Mm. And it burst forth, I would say, pretty aggressively. Um, and I wasn't, again, very happy with my sexuality at the time. Again, very turbulent. Because it felt like um, my sexuality started to then rule me. Like, where it was just like, anything and everything. And it was just like, uh, like it was not this like... A, like fire is this beautiful thing. It gives us light. It gives us warmth, but it can also fucking burn the house down. Yep. And so like, for me, it was controlling my life where it's like, I needed sex. And I also talk about this in a book. Um, where it's just like, I felt like this, like escape where it's like, I couldn't feel the weight of the world. My questions of death, my questions of God, the questions of, am I capable of surviving this world? My sweet release would be, I can disappear into this stranger's body for the mm. next 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Um, sure, life would be waiting for me on the other side of this tunnel is how I describe it. But for the moment, I could feel like I could get reprieved. And I have a lot of compassion for my younger self who did not have the resources to incorporate his sexuality, who was doing it all alone because I lost 99% of my support system as mm-hmm. I was trying to figure this out. Struggling in the dark for ver- sometimes literally for, ver- for decades of my life, two and a half decades. And then finally stumbled into a relationship and that relationship forced me to kind of reconcile a lot. And so I would say that falling in love the first time was a beautiful moment for me to ask a very important question. And that question was, what is wrong with this? Because my flavor of Christianity, it wasn't like uh, these rules from God were like just like uh, kind of, I'm um, good what I'm looking for, like, uh, uh, like they have no meaning. It's just like like there's not a reason to it. It's like, no, there's always a reason to these rules. It's a like, good dad looking out for his kids. It's always the phrase, it's he's a good father. And like, it's like, don't touch the hot stove. Don't touch the hot stove. Would always be like the phrase around like sin, where it's like, no, we obey God because he's looking out for us. And so up until that moment, I could point to my sexuality and be like, yeah, it's bad because it had burned me. Mm-hmm. It had been this all consuming fire. And so it's easy for me to point to it and be like, yeah, Christians were right. This is really bad. And it's hurting me. And uh, my limited exposure to queer culture in Colorado Springs showed me like there's a lot of sadness and trauma. There's a lot of trauma in that city. And so I'm seeing a lot of depression and anxiety. and like, yeah, see, this is bad. But when I fell in love, and it wasn't the best relationship it ended and thank god it did because it wasn't good but there i still fell in love with this person and the question came up like what is what is so wrong about loving mm-hmm. someone what is so wrong about wanting to do life with another human in fact doesn't the bible say it's not good for man to be alone and so i it forced me to really solidify more quite like it, it really unloaded even more questions around the bible is it perfect I no longer believe that anymore and it was because of my sexuality so yeah i would say uh this is kind of a long answer to your question but um i am grateful for my sexuality even though we had a turbulent relationship
0: mm.
1: because i i now view it as a blessing i view my queerness as a beautiful blessing um for a number of reasons it uh i think i think differently uh because I've been forced to like when you're in a queer relationship, you're not given a framework. You kind of have to create something that you want and your partner wants, and there's no rules now. So you have to decide what your rules are going to be if there are going to be any. Um, So I am more communicative. I have more empathy. Um, I have more grit. Um, And the biggest one for me that I'm grateful for with my sexuality is that I think that if I wasn't queer, I was really good at being a good Christian. Mm i'm white i'm cis i like I, and i like loved serving and like like all those things that like a like a megachurch pastor is looking for in their associate pastor i like love reading like i am like i said I, i'm a reader and a writer so like mm. i could read the text and you're attractive
0: um, which is big thank you
1: it's true book. sex appeal is a big thing yes. and like
0: these flavors of christianity
1: um that is such a good point. Like, I didn't even think about that. Like, I'm thinking about the new, like, not the, the most recent Hillsong documentary. It's like, mm. sex appeal is a thing. Yep. And I know people who have not been able to get higher up. The ladder in their church, especially mega churches, because you need to have this, like, sex appeal. Yeah, you're, if you're not so,
0: cute, you're not successful.
1: You're out. Like, if you're ugly, Jesus doesn't love you. Mm. Like, so, um, but like, if my my queerness was the one thing that made it so i couldn't be a good christian Mm. and i think that what and i'm a very stubborn human being and that's why it took me till 26 to finally like say i can't do it anymore but for 26 years i was stubborn and said i can do it i can do it i can do it i can do it until i realized i couldn't shake it and queerness is something that is like that's that's a that's a deal breaker for 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 evangelical Mm. christianity it's it's a no-go like there's plenty of other like uh, things that we label as sins that maybe you can get away with and be in ministry, but being LGBTQ is not one of them. Mm. Um, and so I'm grateful for it because it forced a reckoning that I don't know if I would have had the courage to rectify, just being very candid. Um, I, I experienced a lot of privilege uh, as a result of my evangelical framework. And I think the reason that I stepped away from it and questioned it is simply because i could not shake who i am um and for that reason even though i resented my queerness for a very long time i'm very grateful
0: for it now Mm. yeah i mean ugh i just hate that we have to go through all these like crazy i mean i i don't i never came out i'm not i'm (laughs) i'm not disconnected from my sexuality but i just feel like a cheater like i do
1: you identify as bisexual or pan or pan Okay.
0: Yeah. Um. So in college, when I started sleeping around, well, sleeping around, I call it my hoe face But people are like Josie, you slept with four people over the course of five years. I don't think that's a hoe <laughs>
1: face but Listen, but it was Christian at a Zusa. I was gonna yeah, say exactly. it was at a Pacific. That is that is house you and jezebel at exactly. a Pacific.
0: <laughs> exactly. Thank you for affirming me in my hoe Thank you for referring... <laughs> It mattered. <nodded. laughs> <laughs> but at the time i was so consumed with like um the like getting rid of the patriarchy like i'm just so mm. leftist it's ridiculous that a lot of my sexuality was like sex was disconnected from my feelings and mm. i was really into conquering men like mm, knowing yeah. that <laughs> this is so fucked up this is so toxic of me i love this <laughs> I was just like we're friends and we're gonna have sex, and we're not gonna have any feelings, and it's never gonna go there. And like, it was like a game to me. It was like a mm-hmm. identifying which friend I could sleep with, and then if it was getting too- And then
1: conquering them.
0: Yeah, and if it was getting too emotionally yeah. attached, not like in a romantic way, but just in a, like any type of emotion, I was, I was done. We were not sleeping together anymore.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I was too focused on that to explore my sexuality in college. And then I fell in love with a man, who's very feminine in spirit so it makes a lot of sense like <laughs> he, it's just i love it i'm the mask in our relationship and it's, so, <laughs> <funny>. <laughs> it's really funny.
1: so good
0: and then like as an artist like i always knew that i was attracted to everybody but to me it was just like such a non-issue at the time
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: and it still kind of is like i I'm not I'm not the kind of person who's going to make a post or, but I'm going to go to Pride and I'm going to talk about being gay, like on a podcast. Mm-hmm. But
1: I just, oh, sorry, go ahead.
0: I was just going to say that I just refuse to make it a big deal. One, because I don't want to have that conversation with my parents. They don't deserve that part of me or mm-hmm, my mm-hmm. hyper-religious Privilege. family. Like and i'm married like i have the privilege of hiding from them and i'm mm-hmm, not that i'm mm-hmm. hiding but you just don't deserve to know me that mm-hmm, way because mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. i'm not gonna have this argument with you i'm not gonna mm-hmm. like I, my cousin is gay and he is ostracized from the family and mm-hmm. i'm willing to be ostracized from the family but i'm just i'm not gonna have this conversation with you uh, mm-hmm. what were you gonna say
1: all my one comment with my the people I've engaged with who are bisexual or pan—it's just so fun to me because, like, for me, like my sexuality was this like heavy, mm. intense burden, like this curse. And like every bisexual and pan individual that I know, they're just like, yeah, everyone's beautiful. Like, yeah. it not it does not do you not see? Do you not see people? They're that beautiful. So it's not that big of a deal. What the heck? Hello. So- <laughs> I
0: know that is so funny because it's so true. I I think. Because I was an art major, so you just look at a lot of naked bodies all the time and I'm just like, "Mm, yes, I love it all. And like with the whole, like I have some people be like, oh my gosh, you'd be into a trans man or a trans woman. And I'm like, I mean, things are shifted a little bit aesthetically, but the parts are the same. And if I'm done for both parts, what does it matter? Like, who cares? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) If you're hot, you're hot. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's just—it's so funny. I just—I—I've dated a, a two, two by individuals, and I was just like, I was just like, wow, what would it be like? And it was so funny because actually three, because my the last girlfriend I dated, she um she's bisexual, and like it was a big. Wake up call for her where she realized not everyone thought everyone was beautiful. Exactly. She was just like, wait, what? Y'all just think one of like half of us are pretty. Have you seen everyone? Everyone's gorgeous. Like it was this like big epiphany for her. And it makes a whole lot of sense. I think the only reason that people I one, I think there's a lot more bisexual pan-individuals in this mm-hmm. world. We just have been socialized through McCarthyism and like the queer uh which hunt that was through the 50 60 70s mm-hmm. and up until today and then also the hiv epidemic but before then mm-hmm. um the uh it was in the 20s or 30s no i think it was the 40s 50s now I'm messing it up but the um oh god i i should know this the you uh, the, the scale for someone being attracted to oh. the opposite sex or same sex what is it Kensian? called yes kenzie the kenzie scale kenzie scale so he's was a socialist, uh, like, like a sociologist, sorry, no social, he probably was that too, but like he was a sociologist and he did this massive research study with thousands of men. And before the fifties, before McCarthy, like did this whole like purge thing of like queer people, specifically gay men in government positions and made them unemployed and starving. Before then there was a, a he. Uh, Kinsey published this article, it was like super popular at the time, made it into the New York Times, like circulated everywhere, and it was showing that 50% of men are attracted to men, Mm -hmm. only seven, like the the numbers are still the same percentage-wise of those that explicitly only are attracted to men, Uh, I think it was around seven or eight, Um, but like people would be like, oh yeah, like I fantasize about being with men, or like I'm attracted to men, there's a lot more ownership of like, mm. yeah, of course, fifty percent there's no way in well, maybe we're moving towards that now again, like we're taking ownership of it again, hopefully, mm. um, as things are changing, especially, I would say with like uh gen Z and younger, like millennials, like we've got some stuff it's got a little bit better, but like I feel like Gen Z and down like has been doing a really good job of like who fucking cares? people are beautiful, be whatever you want, I can love whoever I want, and there's a lot more. Um, taking ownership of that and I imagine that the numbers and that we're seeing this we're seeing that oh my god let like gen z are being um socialized they're being groomed like that whole rhetoric it's like no like the numbers are actually there's more bisexual and pan individuals in the world it's just that we've been scared to announce mm-hmm. it and now people aren't and so now there's this 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 uh um this reaction to to that from i would say christian nationalism um uh like in states like florida and tennessee mm-hmm. to try to shut this down but like we have data that proves that it wasn't this way before we just got really scared as a result of certain policies but people don't know that history yeah. is the thing
0: so i know i feel anyway. very fortunate especially to be like in the art world because art history mm. is very explicitly gay like there's no hiding homosexuality all over art <laughs> <laughs> like, well yeah you know, sorry like you're just not gonna hide it but Yeah, I just, ugh. I think people are pretty fucked up, but I also think the internet, is kind of a little, it's not giving us an accurate representation. I feel like the Mm. world is progressing and it is getting better. Mm -hmm. I mean, by the mere fact that if my dad found out due to my privileges that that I was gay, that he would not completely abandon me. He'd talk my ear off about it. He'd just bitch about Mm -hmm. me, but like you wouldn't <laughs> cut me off, you know? And that mm-hmm. I feel like is great. That's progress. I'll take mm-hmm. it. You don't have to like mm-hmm. I'm not going to change you whatever dad, but I feel like there's a lot more tolerance being talked about. But
1: and I think that like I agree with you because if we look at I'm reading this like wonderful book called Sapiens. Um it's it's been so good for me and like teaching me some things about the human experience I didn't know because I was raised in Christian schools growing up that my mom worked at. Um but like uh he, he talks about that where it's like we are definitely like hard things are happening, especially individually, like our worlds can be really rough. Social media is showing us some really hard things. But in general, over the long history of time, human rights and equality are happening. Like when we look at it from a very like big mm-hmm. back perspective, there's still so much room for growth. There's so much that still needs to be accomplished. And within the last century, honestly, like, yeah, like within the last hundred years like we've seen in particular like women um are more equal standing than they've ever been in history um i know that like we have some like stories of difference where it's like specifically some indigenous communities but in general on a global scale the vast majority of cultures have been patriarchal mm. and like we're seeing that slowly like transforming and change like again over centuries however it is happening and so yes I do think that there's so much growth and we're experiencing a lot of pain a lot of backlash and I agree with you that we um, in the long scope of history you're yeah. experiencing some really beautiful changes
0: yeah I agree and this is why books like yours are important so why don't you tell <laughs> people where they can find it and buy it <laughs> You've done this
1: before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, you can go to brandonflannery with one n dot com, brandonflannery.com slash book. Um, you can also go to Lake Drive Books. That's my publisher. They are absolutely wonderful. I'm so grateful for them believing in me and this story. Um, but yes, it's or you can just Google Stumbling, a sassy memoir about coming out of evangelicalism by Brandon Flannery. Um, and there's it's on a lot of um, uh, platforms: Amazon, Barnes & Noble,s Bookzilla, and I'm forgetting like the two or three other ones. And the audiobook should be coming out in a couple of weeks. If that's more your jam, so and I read it. So Yay!
0: Um, yeah, <laughs> I love when the authors yeah. read their books.
1: Agreed, I, especially when it's like a uh, nonfiction. You know, like if yeah. it's like if it's your story, when it's not the author, I'm always just like wait a second, this is weird. <laughs> yeah, no, for real.
0: Oh my gosh! Well, thank so. you so much for being on the podcast. I'm like this is through-
1: so great. I oh just I loved it. thanks for having me. um,
0: your publisher of Lake Drive Books. I just interviewed. Oh my God, yeah, and oh so um, good. Brad is at Lake Drive, so Brad Onishi, homie for yes. life
1: blah 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 blah.
0: connected to all of you.
1: <laughs> I love that so much. it's so cool, like what's happening with Lake Drive. I'm just I mean I'm very grateful for. David and what he's doing, and like what he believes in, and mm. I just think it's needed. So I'm so glad that he got to be on the podcast as well. And yeah, thank you so much for having me, Josie. Like, this has been really honestly fun. I, some podcasts can be clunky to mm-hmm. say the least, and this one was really nice and enjoyable. So Aww, thanks for thank being such you. a lovely host.
0: I yeah, try to absolutely. make it fun. If not, why am I gonna do it if I'm not having fun? You know, <laughs> 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 this is free, I don't make any money on this. Shit. <laughs> So Just good. love of the game. All right. Well, feel free to come back whenever you want. We could talk about the oh really everything. Josie. everything. That sounds great. love it. For your next book too. I'm sure you'll write another one. <laughs> <laughs> my publisher
1: would like me to stats. So, we'll. I'll keep you posted.
0: <laughs> hey, that's right. All right, friends. Well, as always, you can find us on Instagram at Speaking in Church. You can find me at Josie takes the world for crocheting and dog content. Um that's pretty much <laughs> all I do there. Because uh, <laughs> I'm a weirdo, and yeah, we have merch, we have a tip jar, all of that is in the link in the bio. Uh, other than that, stay woke or get woke, please. I okay, bye.
1: This has been an irreverent media podcast.